Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Take me to the Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning, everyone, and thank you again for being here today for our weekly Sunrise Project. We are so grateful that you're here and, as always, look forward to finding a moment of peace and solace as we work together as a village to heal ourselves and our families and our communities and the world. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I am so delighted to be here this morning with this gentleman who comes to us from Denver, Colorado. Um, his name is Dr. Halim Ali. We have with us an activist, a mentor, a master facilitator, and a mental health professional who is in the trenches doing the work with our youth, with our young men. And he is here to share his insights and some ways that we might be better parents with our own young men and our daughters. And so we are excited to have Dr. Halim Ali. He is the executive director and founder of From the Heart Enterprises. And he's also co-founder of King's Council Black Male Health Initiative. He works directly with the Denver Metro community and its suburbs advocating for empowerment and mental health awareness to establish healthy American families. Through community events and programs ranging from youth leadership courses, adult mental health and wellness councils, educational seminars, and community services, Dr. Ali is for the people first at all times. As a connector and advocate to so many voices in Denver, Colorado, he works hard in creating new movements that are direct, intentional, and purposeful through all platforms of healthcare. 
and he is here with us this morning. And I am so thrilled to have you and appreciate you getting up early and being here with our village of parents who are all uh, focused on helping our own our families. And so I wanna open up with just sharing your, your journey and, and a little bit about who you are and how you ended up um, doing the work that you're doing today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, uh, Ms. Kelly, for that wonderful introduction. And I'd like to thank the Sunrise Project for inviting me to participate in this forum this morning. My name is Dr. Halim Ali. And throughout my journey, now, I used to be that troubled youth. I have been in gangs. I, have been, I was shot when I was 19 years old, shot in my chest, almost killed gun violence. So I'm a gun violence survivor, right? Graduating from high school and I went directly into the street, directly into the gang life because that's what I chose. That's what I thought was cool. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was 21, I had already two felonies, mm. right? And in making the transition into where I am now, there was a calling for a very long time for me to operate in this space and to serve other young men that look like me, right? But the thing was, I realized at this junction and this point, I had to go through all of these things so I can talk them and walk them through it, right? Because I feel like you can't give but what you don't have. Right. And so I had to go through these things. I would look at my life at certain periods, like, what is going on? Why can't, why can't I get it together? I've been homeless. I've been through addiction. A lot of the things we're going to talk about today in terms of mental illness, addiction, combativeness, treatment centers, substance abuse, disobedience. I've lived all of that. Right. But my mental illness came in the form of anger, deeply rooted hurt, deeply rooted childhood trauma that I never had a platform to express and pressure bust pipes. So it would just build up, build up, and then it would explode. Very explosive temper when I was younger, very explosive. So I was always fighting. I was suspended from an Aurora Public High School 27 times in three years for fighting. And ultimately, I was suspended from the whole district. I ended up going to a, 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 di a different county public school to graduate, which is that's when I started to uh, participate more heavily in the gang culture and in street life. And graduating from high school, college and the military, it wasn't an option. I chose my path and I ultimately became a rap artist a hip hop artist and I did hip hop for about 10 years and I had substantial growth and success in music. And I learned a lot. I was able to create a, a record label, but it was still promoting gang culture and violence, right? And so I hit a ceiling to where my spirituality wouldn't let me go any further than that ceiling. That was as high as I was gonna go. And the more I tried to break through that ceiling, and the more that ceiling would resist, the more I began to have, you know, bouts of depression, the more I began to have anxiety. So I would use drugs to ease the pain and to continue in that futile fight. Right. right? So where I am today with seeing our young men going through those same scenarios, this same process, 
and to understand that at the root of their behavior, they're hurting. And a lot of times we as, we as men, we don't want to admit that we're hurting. We want to take it on the chin because that's how a lot of us were raised in a hyper-masculine culture that suggests men cannot cry. Men cannot tell other men that they love them. Men don't hug each other. Men don't say, I need help. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This is just the culture that we live in, and especially when we as men have to go to someone and ask for help who doesn't look like us, who doesn't understand our struggle. It makes it even more challenging. It makes it harder, right? So I'd like to, Miss Kelly, before you ask any questions, I'd just like to share some brief statistics just for the sake of the group. Yeah, please, please. And also, if you could, after you do that, if you could share, you talked about being having, you know, this foundation of anger, hurt, and challenge childhood trauma, you could share a pieces of those, like how, what, what happened to make you so angry and so hurt? Mm. Many of our children are feeling the same way. So if you could share that as well, in addition to the statistics, please. Okay. Well, you know what? I'll share that first. Okay. So I was raised in a household. My mother and father were both present in the house. I'm the middle child, the black sheep and two older brothers and two younger brothers. And I remember sitting in church at six or seven years old, and I would see all these beautiful black faces and all these beautiful black people. Yet on the stained glass windows and on the fans were images of this white, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesus. I'm just gonna be real. And I would ask my mother, who is this man on this fan? And she would say, that's Jesus, that's God. That's your Lord and Savior. And I and he didn't look like me. So even at six, seven years old, I was saying, no, this can't be my God. If this is my God and I look the total opposite of this God, then I must be something other than God. I must be something other than great. I must be something other than holy. So at the end of the day, I would go home at six, seven years old. And I would get in the bathtub and I would take a whole bar of soap and I would attempt to remove this stain, this blemish and get to the white part. I wanted to get to the white part because the person who I trusted the most was telling me basically that I wasn't enough. That this, and not intentionally and not consciously, but this was the beginning of my journey of self-hate. This was the beginning of my journey because I couldn't get rid of this black skin. And if God is white and I'm black, then I must be the devil, right? And this is what was going through my mind at six, seven years old. So I began this journey of self-hate. And not only was it self-hate when I looked in the mirror, but anybody who looked like me, I didn't like them either, right? But when a white authority would come around, I couldn't even look them in the eyes. When it was my white teachers at school, I was so fearful and so indoctrinated with this teaching of white superiority and black inferiority that I was unable to look white people in the eyes. My heart rate would increase when a white person would come around and I'm just being honest with you. So then 
within the home structure, within the home environment, my brothers and I would always fight, right? We would always, it would just be a very combative environment, right? And this is how I was taught to solve my problems and I became good at fighting. So even though I would wear a smile in public, I would wear a smile at school, inside, I still had this self-hate. Inside, I was still brewing. I remember being, I remember seeing roots. I remember seeing roots when I was eight years old and I couldn't understand what I was seeing. Like, wait a minute, right? And, and, and I was in the first grade and I remember finding a chain on the, uh, a, um, a necklace, a broken necklace on the playground. And I remember after seeing roots, I have the necklace in my hand and I'm twirling it and we're standing in line to leave. And there was a young white man, a young uh, a white guy in front of me. And I'm looking at the chain and I'm looking at his back and I'm looking at the chain. I'm looking, and all of a sudden, I just hit him in the back with the chain because this is what I saw them doing to us. So roots really impacted me when I saw black people being treated like dogs, being, being slaves. It did something to me that still haunts me to this day. So the root of my anger, even though I have constructive ways to deal with anger and I have a platform now to speak to this pain, right? These are some of, some of the elements that contributed to my self-hate. And I've turned that self-hate into self-love, wow. right? But it's, it's taken years to do so to be able to look in the mirror and see somebody that is worth loving, someone that has value, someone that is not the descendant of slaves, but the descendant of kings and queens, right? Yeah. But, it, but this, was, this isn't what I was being taught. This isn't anything that any, any adult around me was saying. This right. is something I had to figure out for myself. Yeah. Wow. Yes, preach. I love it. I love it. Yes, yes, yes. So that's, thank you for sharing that. That's really um, powerful. And thank God that you did move from self-hate to self-love and you're able to help so many people today. So appreciate that. And thank you for sharing because that was my question. How did you, what happened? Where, where did the anger, where did the hurt, where did the trauma come from? So you just articulated that so beautifully. Thank you. And I know yes, you're sharing some additional statistics and just where yes, we are today. So please feel free. All right. So, and some of you may already know these statistics, so I will uh, make them brief, but 75% of students' suspensions, expulsions, grade failures, special education referrals, school violence casualties, and all other assaults are for boys. This is Griffin recovery. Men are more than twice as likely to become alcohol dependent and are more than twice as likely to die from a drug overdose. This is the CDC and WHO. 75% of the chronically homeless are male. This is the U.S. Interagency Council of Homelessness. 61% of men have experienced trauma in their lifetime. Nearly one in 10 men suffer from depression or anxiety, but are less likely to report or seek help. Men of color are even less likely to seek treatment. This is the CDC. Approximately 80% of deaths by suicide are men. One man per minute, 510,000 men a year 
complete suicide. And this is the CDC and the Movember Foundation. Now I'm in Denver, so some of these uh, some of these statistics are geographically uh, based, and they're here. So men represent 76 percent of Denver's suicide-related deaths. That's the Colorado Violent Death Reporting System. Suicide is the leading cause of death in Colorado for ages 10 to 24, and the second leading cause of death for ages 15 to 44. That's the Office of Suicide Prevention. 93% of prisoners in the criminal justice system are men. 80% of those arrested for all violent crimes are men. 92% of parents in prison are fathers. 80% of the justice involved in Colorado have a uh, an addiction disorder, that's the CCJRC, Colorado Criminal Justice Reform Coalition, and 25% of the justice involved in Colorado have a serious mental illness. So I just wanted to share some of those statistics with you guys because I really feel like, you know, in November, there were 16 shootings in this demographic in 30 days. We were on a national public health crisis watch in this demographic. So this is what drives this work. It's not roses, right? This work is really, it's meaningful, but it brings a lot of, you don't, you, you're never, you never, you're never off. You take it home with you. You think of new, new solutions to help some of these young men. So know that I am here for all of this, my people. And, and I've been doing this work with a within the community for five years but within my own life for 40 years. So please, Miss Kelly. I'm um, reflecting on those numbers. And as the mom of two black sons, you know how painful it is to hear that and to be a black man and to walk in your shoes every day as a black man, knowing that um, what people perceive of you, what the media tells you you are, uh, all of what you just said, um, it is really traumatic and it is heavy. And so again, just so grateful for you to be working with young men um, to help, you know, and to do the pieces that you can. And so I'd love for you to share uh, what, you know, exactly the type of work you do and some examples okay. of some successes that you've had with some of your young men. Yes, ma'am. So we'll start with uh, some of the work. So we facilitate and mentor our young men from different modalities, right? From a strengthening families modality and within the strengthening family modality, we have five protective factors that we work from. And uh, a protective factor is the opposite of a risk factor. So for some of the young men who are new parents, we talk to them about parental resilience, social connections, social and emotional competency in children, knowledge of parenting and child development and concrete support in times of need. Right now with each of our modalities, we spend about an hour with our young men in one-on-one -on -one scenarios, but two hours each week with our young men in group scenarios. And our groups are usually six weeks Right now, one of our most effective modalities that we've been using with our young men is 
a modality called the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. And even though the creator of this uh, modality, Mary Ellen Copeland, a Caucasian woman, we have really brought uh, cultural diversity to this modality. So we have five key concepts that we deal with in the Wellness Recovery Action Plan. Hope, personal responsibility, self-advocacy, support, and education, but education as it relates to self-discovery, not book smarts. Now, we use those five key concepts as a lens to look at our recovery topics. Because now when we talk about recovery topics, we're talking about things that all of us experience in life, that people in general experience. So we're talking about stressors or triggers, right? We're talking about early warning signs. We're talking about when things are breaking down. And we're also talking about crisis and post-crisis, right? The goal with this modality is to prevent crisis. So now when we start at that base level, right, we start at the base level and we help our young men identify their wellness tools. So what a wellness tool is, and I'm going to bring all of this together for you guys in a moment, but what a wellness tool is, this is something that we will get our young men to identify for themselves, things that they have to do every day to be well, right? So if that means getting up at 6 a.m., meditating, or saying a prayer, or splashing water on their face. And by 7 a.m., if they have to have a strawberry banana smoothie, but getting them to look at how they are on their best days, right? And, and, and what they need to do to sustain that wellness, right? So now, what happens is sometimes when we're not true to our, um, our wellness toolbox or our daily maintenance plan, what ends up happening is we encounter a stressor. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So now, what will help them do, a stressor or a trigger, what we will do with them, we will help them create what is called a stressor action plan through the five key concepts I mentioned. So say most of my young men they have anger issues, all right? So say if one of my young men, if they're driving down the street, someone cuts them off. And, you know, before they go into a panic or a rage and chases the person and cuts them back off or it turns into an altercation, what we say, okay, if that's a stressor for you, if you know that is something that gets under your skin, like we say, we have five key concepts. At that time, I want you to ask yourself, where is my hope? Where is my hope? I need you to look at this situation through these through the lens of these five key concepts. Where is my hope when this happens? Right? Where is your personal responsibility? Maybe you ran a light or maybe you cut this person off back then. Let's not let's stop pointing the finger. Where is your personal responsibility in the situation? Right? Where's your self-advocacy? How can you advocate for yourself? Maybe that means slowing down and taking a few breaths. What does your support system look like? We teach these young men 
the five steps to developing strong support systems, because a lot of these young men, they have support systems. They just don't recognize their support systems. So we help them recognize their support systems. And by doing so, they're able to reflect maybe in that time of heightened emotion, maybe they can call a loved one and just hear the voice of someone they care about or someone in their life that will calm them down. Right. And then lastly, with education. What when we, when we talk about education, like I said, we're talking about self-discovery. So now what do you know about yourself that if you allow this altercation to escalate or this situation to escalate into confrontation, what do you know about yourself that's going to uh, exacerbate the situation? Right. So now those are the five key concepts. But if and you know, as it relates to the recovery topics and if we don't identify these things at a stressor level or at a trigger level, then it could turn into an early warning sign. That heart starts beating. Now we start shaking. We start getting nervous. We may start cussing, right? We may take it out on people that we care about. So if you're unable to subdue it at that baseline level, at that stressor level with your action plan, then we have to create and we will also have in place an early warning sign action plan. If we are unable to subdue it there, then we create a when things are breaking down action plan, where once we get to when things are breaking down, the next stage is crisis. The next stage, you have caught up with this person, you have jumped out of your car and they are out of their car and you are on the verge of a crisis, right? So you have fewer options. The more you go up the continuum, the fewer options you have and the more intense your action plan needs to be. So this is part of the work that we do with our young men as it, and, and, you know, as it relates to, and as it regards to successes, as it regards our successes, Kelly, we've had a tremendous amount of successes. And I feel like it is due to the dedication of our mentors and also our young men being able to have a therapist or a mentor who not only looks like them, but who has similar life experiences, similar life experiences. That's everything. Cause our boys, you know, our young men are brilliant. They're beautiful and they're intelligent. So you can't sit in front of them and lie. They can sense it. They can sense when you're not authentic, when you're not genuine. Right. But when you are, they listen, I find in most cases, in most cases. And I did a trauma informed workshop about a month ago. And one of the things that I emphasize and something that I still have to implement in my own practice and journey is self-care. And we can have 100 victories in a day and we can have one disappointment or one loss. And instead of focusing on those 100 victories, we'll focus on that one loss, that one disappointment. Self-care suggests that we focus on those victories. We give power to those victories. So even though I may have 100 young men who, are, who have changed and who are making strides in their life, it's always that one young man that sends me back to the drawing board, that makes me feel like I got to do more. I'm not doing enough. Right. So, yes, we do have our share of uh, of victories more than we do disappointments. 
So awesome. I'm I'm sitting here listening to you and wanting everybody on here to have the opportunity to work with you. So my question, and before I open up to the um, our village, who um, I'm sure has questions or, or thoughts, my question is, is it possible? Do you only work with, with, with young men in the Denver area or um and or do you have opportunities for young men to um, do virtual work with you? How does that work? And how do people become a part of your program? You know, Kelly, uh, we have we have done within this last year, especially with the pandemic and the rise of isolation um, in this demographic, we've been doing more in-person sessions now, Be you know, during in, in the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing virtual sessions and it was difficult to get our young men to engage in a virtual environment. We are absolutely capable and able to hold virtual sessions. However, a lot of times what, what I find, what we find is our young men in these group sessions and in group environments among their peers, because once, once again, as the statistics would suggest, young black men, older black men, yes, we suffer from mental illness, but we are less likely, twice as less likely to report it. So now to come on a virtual session in, in, in an environment of your peers, no one wants to be the first one to talk. No one wants to be vulnerable, right? But when we get these young men in person, you know, and they can see that the facilitator has come from this way of life and I can tell them about my anger issues, then they're able to see themselves in me or see themselves in one of the other facilitators. And then we have a me too session, right? Well, I, that's, that's me. That's, I feel it right there too, Baba Ali. That's what they say, you know, so we're, so that. that ah, you did that. Oh yeah. Then they feel a connection with you. Yes. Yes. So the way that we engage our parents we typically, because we definitely need a buy-in from our parents. And what that looks like, we initially sit down before we start any sessions with the youth. We initially sit down with the parent and the youth, give them an introduction of our program. And we take a, what we do is a lifestyle assessment with about 25 questions to see where we need to work, as opposed to creating a cookie cutter format or an assembly line type, because each young man is different, right? Each young man is different. So we tailor the, our six to eight week program to the individual that we're working with. And we'll usually do an evaluation after the first four weeks and see where we, um, where we have had accomplishments or successes and or where we need to improve. That's fantastic. So there's a lot of energy here with our village um, to, to work with you potentially in the future. So I'd love to explore that. I, I'll just share a brief story. Yesterday, my 19-year-old, who's the reason this was born, quite honestly, um, went back to Atlanta. But during the day, you know, I've been practicing all of the principles we have all learned in terms of acceptance and breathing and communication and, you know, letting things go and et cetera. And something happened that really triggered me. It was a mm. across the boundary of, you know, please mm. don't leave in the house. And all of a sudden there's somebody random in the house that had been snuck in and I smell weed. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. So after him being home for a few weeks and the calm, 
piece of learning to accept and to not expect certain things. I, it was a trigger and I snapped. And so to your point though, this morning, what I love is let's focus on all of the good things that happen, all of the wins, all of the opportunities for communication that we shared over the last few weeks versus that one big, huge blow up. And the way he responded, I'm sure he would say what you said. Mom has an anger issue. She's out of control. I can't believe, you know, versus taking responsibility. You talked about self-advocacy, personal responsibility, hope. Come on. So I just want to say thank you for that. And I, my, and my hope, my hope and intention would be that we create something really special with you, Dr. Ali, and, um, and provide an opportunity for our sons to, to, to be a, part of your whole spirit and uh what you do thank you thank you thank you everything you've shared um so i would love to uh open it up to anybody who might want to comment or ask a question please go right ahead thank you for today's speaker you've been very transparent and it really helps to hear um and i just wanted to ask your thoughts uh uh, kelly was talking about the small wins, and I and I and I need to celebrate those more because uh, my son is struggling. I, I I fear that he has flunked out this semester and doesn't want to deal with it. He's putting his head in the sand, not talking about it. Um, and every time I try to sit down and have a conversation about whether how he did in school, it becomes very combative. And I know a part of it is I don't want him to feel like a failure. I want to address. What's, what his struggles are. And I know that he struggles with virtual learning. Um, and, uh, but the win was the fact that he actually met with his therapist, who is a black man. And I've got to, you know, I've got to, you know, raise my hand for black men therapists. I searched for one and uh, my friend Dina recommended one and he has been with my son now for about uh, three, four years. And he is tremendous. Wow. Because one thing I can say is that with our young black men, they need strong adult black men in their lives. And my son really doesn't have that. And what I wanted to ask my question for you, uh, because I came from a similar background as you did, but I didn't raise my son in that type of environment. So somehow I hoped that things would be different for him considering that he had more uh, benefits from what I could see. Do you, what is your, what are your thoughts about um, how you move forward when you see that your child is in deep, that he can't even, you know, dig himself out? How do we as parents don't over, you know, overindulge or just do too much? I don't want to be that parent, but yet I want to be a support. I want him to know how much I love him and I don't judge him for his failures and that I'm here for him, but I'm beginning to see signs of depression, you know, mm. hiding away in his room, playing video games 24 seven, smoking mm. weed, not wanting to have important discussions. And I can't keep bringing it up every day because all it's doing is creating more division, right? And I did tell his therapist and said, hey, can you reach out to him? Because my son has a real problem with me making appointments for him. He's like, I'm an adult, I'm 21, stop doing that. You don't have to do this for me. And you don't have to tell me what time I'm meeting with someone. Just let me do this. So I said, okay, I'm letting you do it. 
talk to your therapist if you feel like you need to. I'm out of it. But can you help with that? Can you give any pointers and ways that we can really support these boys without overdoing it as women? Because I have a strong personality. Wow. So I'm always trying to be in it. But I got to take a back seat. I cannot grow a boy into a man. I know I can't. Wow. Help me that understand. Is... Yes, ma'am. And that is so provocative. And thank you uh, for being transparent. And one thing I know that like I said, I still ended up being part of the gang culture and doing everything that your son is doing. And my father was in the house. And I know if my father hadn't been in the house, that the outcome would have been different because unfortunately, well, fortunately, I'm not gonna say unfortunately, but mothers are the nurturers, fathers are the protectors. My father told me, he gave me boundaries. And, and, and he always taught me that laws and rules are meant for protection. And when I could no longer adhere to my father's laws and rules, I had to go, period. And, and I thought that he was doing me a disservice at the time, right? But if you're going to be grown, if you, gonna, if you think you're going to do what you want to do in here, you got you to gotta go. If you're a man, if you think you're a man, you got to go. So I... I I didn't, you know, obviously at 16, 17 years old, I didn't want to be in the world, but I was unable to accept my father's boundaries. So when we create these boundaries, and it seems like it's easier for a man to enforce the boundaries, because yes, like we said, when we got on the phone with Miss Kelly, that's my baby, right? And a lot of people through my journey with everything that you said about your son and the journey that I took getting shot in my chest and every, you know, a lot of family members, oh, he's going down the wrong road. But what I realize now is that all those things were necessary and everyone's journey. When we wake up in the morning, all we have that belongs to us is a choice. And if, your son is going to choose to do certain things under your roof that you have told him this is not acceptable and he still is going to do it, then the best love, to be honest with you, is gonna be tough love. It's gonna be tough love. I know that may be hard to hear. However, I'm a product of tough love. So if there's anything that you see strong in me or that you admire about me, know that it is a result of tough love. As it pertains to her question around going to school or flunking out or failing out, one of our experts um, in a previous call talked about the power of just letting them be. And even that's okay. If they flunk out, that's okay. What's gonna happen? They don't graduate. That doesn't mean they don't ever graduate. Maybe they graduate eventually. Um, and so I want, can you address that concept? What do you think about that? They say, no, I'm not going to school today or no, I'm not getting on the zoom, which mm. you know, experienced in the past as well. I'm not going, or they go to school, but they leave school. If they're in, you know, it's in person, don't really stay. So, or if it's virtual, they don't get on the zoom. So I, when I heard one of her questions was around, if I see my child, I feel like he's going to flunk out. What's your perspective on that? Do you just let them flunk out or do you choose mm, I would just like to say, you know, with the, with some of the young men that I work with, I've 
you know, when we talk about going above and beyond the call of duty, I've, you know, I go to the schools, I will create a relationship with teachers or the principal. I'll support them in that way to let them know that it's going to be some accountability and extension of accountability beyond. Now, all everybody can't do this. Everybody can't do this. But once I make a connection and they are, and they respect my voice and my opinion and they come to me as a confidant of sorts, now they're able to hear me in ways that, you know, like they say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. So I you know, we'll go to the schools and, and, and check on them and see, you know, I'll check on grades, you know, because now, even though they're not my sons, you know, in, in the biological sense, I feel like they're my sons in terms of a spiritual sense. So in, in, you know, when we encounter those type of uh, scenarios, Miss Kelly, in terms of them not wanting to do certain things, it's like, you have to do something. I can't enable you to just be shipless. I do you a disservice and that's not love. You have to do something. If you're going to be here, you're going to do something. And that's just what we got to do, my people. Right. Agree. Dr. Ali, there's a question that says, should we factor in mental health issues when we use tough love or should we apply them regardless of mental health issues? We definitely should factor in mental health issues. Yet, there still comes a point to where in youth mental health first aid, there are five principles as well. I guess we're just resounding five principles in each one of these schools of thought, but we talk about ALGE. It's an acronym, A-L-G-E-E. -E. And the A stands for whenever you are um, in a I guess a crisis situation or working with someone who is experiencing mental health, the A stands for to assess for the risk of harm or suicide. Assess for the risk of harm or suicide. The L stands for to listen non-judgmentally, right? The G is to give reassurance and support. The first E is to encourage professional help. And the second E is to encourage self-help. So when we talk about someone with identifiable mental health issues, right, this approach has worked for me. And when we assess for the risk of harm or suicide, if that is not prevalent, then to listen non-judgmentally, Right. Not with the and to me, that means not listening with the intention to respond, but truly listening, being present and sharing, empathizing. Right. Knowing that empathy is not, you know, your best friend is saying, I just got an abortion. And you say, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. You know, that's not listening. This is not empathizing. This is not being in that place with that person. But the thing is. How much of yourself are you willing to give to a person in terms of how much of your wellness are you willing to sacrifice? Because what I also teach my young men, it's all right to get mad. It's all right to be angry, but it's not all right to stay angry. It's not all right to stay mad. So we have to be able to encourage people to come out of that 
And if we see that they are not able to come out of that and they begin to affect our mental health and wellness, or they begin to affect our lifestyle, or they begin to affect if they have siblings in the household and they begin to affect their siblings in negative ways. That's why my father made me leave because he had a family. There were, I had two younger brothers and, and, and I had people come and shooting up our house. Now, whether I got mental issues or whatever, he knew this young, this brother going to get everybody killed. Right? So it came a time where brother, look, this is what got to happen for the sake of the whole. I can't break up the part for the sake of the whole. I can't focus on one part for the sake of the whole. Mm, I'm just, wow. Very powerful. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I think in so many instances, we feel afraid to put our foot down, afraid to, we feel guilty. Um, and we feel, I guess it's that fear of, of the unknown. What if we actually do set that boundary and something happens? Then will we ever be able to forgive ourselves? Mm. And, you know, everybody has to walk this journey themselves and be willing to accept whatever the consequences are of their choices. But it's still, I think a lot of us fall on the side of not doing anything, just standing by with rage or mm. just crying and, you know, being upset all the time and not doing anything because we're afraid of what might happen if we do something. And, you know, with that rage, when we talk about it, it makes me think about the airplane rule. When, when it says put your own oxygen mask on first before you could help any, anybody else. Now, when we talk about that rage and that internal conflict that may go on because of our, one of our loved ones, if we were to do something, well, what if we don't do something? Then we can end up sick. We can end up in a hospital bed. We can end up losing our job. Then we can't do for them because we haven't done for ourselves. So now everybody is in crisis, right? So it's really taking, I always say, take your birthright. You know, this is our birthright. Take it back. Take your power back. I tell my young men, you have given your power away to so many excuses. You have, you have lived in this victim consciousness for so long, pointing fingers at everybody else saying, this is the problem. He's the problem. My father wasn't there. My mother's always mad. I did the same thing. And I was giving my power away, making excuses about why I was selling drugs, why I was using drugs. I'm going to use drugs because my daddy wasn't there. So I'm going to hurt myself. Right. I'm going to I'm going to be a menace to society because my mom said I can't come home. And at the end of the day, there was a reason behind these things. I didn't know anything about personal responsibility and then being able to step out of that victim consciousness, right? By any means, by any means, stepping out of that victim consciousness because we're talking about the future of our nation right now. We're talking about the future of generations right now who are going to be trapped in these extended adolescence. They're going to be Grown men, but still boys in the mind, right? They're going to be unable to provide for their family. They're going to have strained relationships, jump in and out of sexual relationships, right? We have to understand 
how their whole existence is going to be affected. I'm just over here saying you are speaking about my child and also I think so many of our children and the whole self responsibility. I think many of us have given our children too much and not really allowed them to grow and learn. And there's another gentleman that talks about the silver platter lifestyle. So I love your focus on personal responsibility and how you're helping young men do that. So Kelly, did you want to say something? And I just, and, and thank you, yes, Kelly. I just want to echo because I feel as though you're freeing some of us because our, our children, regardless of whether or not they have mental illness, whether they have addiction or whatever's going on, a lot of them have gaslighted us into making us think that we're the reason why they are the way they are. And so we're spending so much time trying to, you know, deal with our own personal guilt and absolving them from having to take any responsibility for manning up and being the, the grown up, the grown person that they claim they are. And so this is so powerful. Thank you so much. Yes, Absolutely. ma'am. Absolutely. And something else you said about choice. You talked about that our children have the opportunity to make a choice every day. And I think we as parents, you know, we can choose how we respond and have a self-empowering choice. And so, you know, how do we respond? How do we stay calm? How do we keep our peace in the midst of drama, lack of boundaries, whatever it may be. I think that word choice that you use is so powerful as well. And teaching our children to make, our young men and women to make strong choices that are going to, as you said, impact the future, future generations, the world. What you said is just incredible. There's a question that says, what is your self-care regime and what was your turning point, Dr. Ali? Yes, ma'am. And, you know, I would say first with my, because my turning point, it led to my self-care regime. So with all of my built up anger and with me fighting every day, I, I was, a you know, a pug, my dad would say a boxer. 25 years ago, I began to take martial arts, Kempo, because I wanted to understand my body. And since I have, I've taken Kempo, and I've learned, you know, certain movements that are very yogic in uh, practice and principle. It has really calmed me down and it has removed the desire for me want to, to want to fight. Once my body became a weapon, I wasn't in the world feeling insecure anymore. Like I had something to prove, right? I had taken my power back. And so now I make that a part of my mentoring with our young men, I make sure that we're meditating. I make sure that we get some calisthenics and I teach them blocks and kicks and katas and things of that nature. So, and once I got my black belt in Kempo, I had a responsibility. I had a responsibility. So I felt like, okay, I can't just be out here fighting people anymore. When I didn't know any more than the average man knew, then it was okay to see who would win, right? And my turning point, I would have to say, and this is this is something that I just have to pull up because Nelson Mandela said it best. So I have to bring in the spirit and the energy of the ancestor. I didn't have this prepared, but uh, Nelson said, I had no epiphany, no singular revelation, no moment of truth, 
but a steady accumulation of a thousand slights, a thousand indignities, and a thousand unremembered moments produced in me an anger, a rebelliousness, a desire to fight the system that imprisoned my people. There was no particular day on which I said, henceforth, I will devote myself to the liberation of my people. Instead, I simply found myself doing so and could not do otherwise. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Um, just wow. What a way to end. I am speechless at that and understand completely how you feel as a black woman. I uh, can't imagine as a black man, there's a whole nother level of trauma um, walking this earth every day, just opening the door every day as a black man, as a human. So appreciate you so much for being here. Um, My pleasure. Go on and on. I will, uh, Kelly and I will reach out and talk with you about working with us in the future. You have been invaluable and would love to have you work with our with us as parents and also our young people. Um, I think yes, I know you would be invaluable in our young people's lives as well. So thank you for being here so, so much. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, Kelly Chapman, who will close us out with a prayer today. Yes, ma'am. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Dr. Ali. I see why you've gotten so many awards and accolades in Denver. Lord, we come to you this morning giving thanks for you are good and your mercy endureth forever. We thank you, Lord, that nothing is a surprise to you, O oh God. We are grateful that you ordered our steps today and divinely connected us to your mighty man of valor, Dr. Halim Ali. We are grateful that you allowed our brother to go through his own series of challenges and through your grace and mercy, he came out better, stronger, and wiser than before. And we thank you for his humbleness, for his authenticity in sharing about his former thoughts as a child, about his traumas as a child, about his lack of self-confidence as a child. But you, God, you knew the plans that you had for him, plans to prosper and not to harm him, plans to give him a hope and a future. You set his feet on a rock and gave him a firm place to stand, putting a new song in his mouth. You said in your word, these things, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we thank you for Dr. Ali's obedience to the call. And Lord, we ask that you wash away the former self in us and in our children. Wash away the rebellious self, the traumatized self, the fearful self, the angry self, and make us clean. Your word says, create a pure heart in me and renew a right attitude within me. And we are careful to give you the glory, you the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Kelly, so, so, so much that without prayer. Thank you, Dr. Ali, again. Thank you to our village for being here. I have been blessed today by this. I am walking forward and just grateful. Heart of gratitude and peace today. Have a wonderful week. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. 
You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.